How do we love God today? How do you love and bring Him glory? How do you bless God? And that's what we're talking about in this series of blessings. Uh, we talked about last week, uh, about, or actually I wasn't here last week, was it? That would be Walter. Uh, nevertheless, today we're talking about blessing God. Blessing God. How do we bless God? Well, one way we know is we bless God through praising Him and glorifying Him. Uh, the Bible tells us to love the Lord thy God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And as we worship Him, we bring Him glory. As we praise Him, we bring Him glory. And we bless Him when we bring Him glory. Another way is when we love others. The Bible says the second greatest commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. And when we minister to others, when we encourage others, when we help, uh, when we assist, when we meet the needs of others, we bless the heart of God. And those are the two primary ways that we bless the heart of God. But there's a third way that we don't talk about quite as much. And that is blessing God through our testing, through our trials, through difficult situations in life. We can bless God. I remember when I was a youth minister looking for an internship and trying to find a place that I could go and serve. And uh, I, I remember very vividly kind of going through that process and, uh, and wondering, is, is this where I'm going to stay at school? And uh, I remember walking up on top of uh, the, the men's dorm at the time. This was in 1988. And I'm walking up on the men's dorm just saying, God, you speak to me. And uh, I remember going into class, and there wasn't ever a bright light or a bright revelation, but one of those times you just need some encouragement. You don't know anybody. You feel alone. And, uh, and I got a job uh, making $100 a week as a coach, and I was excited. And uh, I remember thinking because I just needed work at that time, and uh, my bills weren't high, but I, I needed something at that point. And I remember just reflecting back on that time uh, of need and God blessing me, and me telling everybody, running around telling everybody like it was some big deal, I got $100 a week. But maybe you can relate to that at some point in your life where you've needed the blessing of God and where you've recognized it, even in something small. The truth of it is, all of life is a test. We start with Adam and Eve. There was a test right there. We go on and we look at the life of Joseph, obviously. Uh, the Exodus, the Bible tells us in Deuteronomy 8, the Exodus of the children of Israel as they wandered through the desert, that that was a time of testing. We also can pick up and we know even the life of Christ. Christ went through testing from others, from those outside. There's an example in the Old Testament, though, that uh, sometimes we don't think about that uh, kind of spoke to me was 1 Samuel chapter 13, 5 through 15. And I'll tell you the story. Saul has been fairly successful as king of Israel. Of course, he's the first king. He is in a situation now where the Philistines have finally all united. He's been able to either defeat them or keep them at bay up to this point. But they've all united together. And the Bible says they look like sands of the sea on a seashore. They were so numerous. They had uh, thousands of chariots, of horsemen, and uh, his ragtag of of army warriors who had at this point at least not been defeated, began to become fearful. And Samuel had told him, in about a week I will be there and I'll come and I'll provide a sacrifice for you. Only the priest could provide the sacrifices at that point. And after that, you will go into battle. 
And, uh, and basically, you'll find yourself victorious. But Saul began to get nervous, for he saw his enemy out there, and his people, his men, began to get scared. And some of them began to hide. They began to hide in the, the brush and the caves and holes. And he thought to himself, I'm going to need to do something. So he took it upon himself, because Samuel wasn't right there at that moment. He wasn't positive. He was getting nervous. And so he took it upon himself, and he said, I'll just do the sacrifice myself. Even though he knew it was forbidden that only the priest could provide the sacrifice. And so he went ahead and did it. And after he did it, Samuel showed up. And he goes, now, Saul, I, I'm sorry, I, you didn't come. I thought you, you said I thought you were going to be here right now, and you, you weren't there. It didn't look like you were coming, so I went ahead and took care of it. I wanted to make sure we had a sacrifice before we went into to battle. And it looks like the Philistines are about to come. And it, it was really kind of one of those football prayers, you know, one of those athletic prayers, dear God, help us to score a touchdown. Dear God, don't let us score right here. Let me make this shot kind of prayers. You know, really don't have anything to do with God. They're all about us uh, is what they all are about. And it was kind of one of those all about me sacrifices that Saul provides. And Samuel comes and Samuel rebukes him and says, you, this was a test. And if you had passed this test, your family name, you would have you would have become a dynasty. But because you're unfaithful, because you decided to move ahead and it's it's more about you than trusting God, I'm, I'm not going to be able to give the kingdom for you forever. Someone else is going to come and they're going to take over and it won't be your family. And so, of course, that's what happens. And he wins the war, but. He wins the battle, but he loses ultimately the war. Deuteronomy 8 again tells us of how the children of Israel were tested. Job, of course, we know, went through significant trials. The Bible tells us in Job 23:10, but he knows the way that I take, and when he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. 1 Corinthians 10:13 said, He will not test me beyond what I can bear, but each trial will also provide a way out so that you may be able to endure it. As many of you know, our youth and several adults were on a mission trip at Molokai Island this past week. And Molokai Island is the most remote island of the Hawaiian Islands. Matter of fact, up until 1970, it was used primarily as a place of which they designated lepers. And they would put people with leprosy. They started doing that in 1850. And uh, that's one of the reasons this island never grew, never became a tourist place. Uh, so an island has 95% of the people who are without health insurance. It's a uh, underprivileged, uh, more poverty area. And uh, it's not what you think of when, I, when you think of Hawaii. As a matter of fact, I think I'd like to take our associate pastor there with us next time. Uh, our kids actually camped out on the ground in the grass and provided a camp uh, with very, very little resources and uh, did that for underprivileged children this past week. And they did a, a great job. They were tremendous servants. And uh, next week you'll get to hear a little bit about that. But what's interesting, as, uh, as I reflected and as I was there for a few days with them, uh, what was interesting for me is, you know, this is kind of a test to see what we're made of. This is a test for these kids and these adults. What are they made of when you don't have air conditioning and you don't have a hot shower and you don't have a bed, and yet you're living with people who live with that every day. What's your attitude? What's your spirit? Are you still grateful? And it was great to get a call from 
uh, from the leaders of their church and said, you know, we've never seen a group with such a servant heart, with such a servant spirit. We were so ministered to. You know, in a very real sense, they passed the test. I want to give you five tests that we go throughout in life. The question is not are we going to have these tests. What are we going to do with these tests? Are we going to, so to speak, pass the tests? The first test, and we see this all throughout Scripture, is the test of love. As I quoted to you earlier, Mark chapter 12, verse 30, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. The test of love. You know, there was a, a priest in the late 1800s, after they had designated that all the lepers be sent to uh, the island of Malachi, uh, and it was kind of the definitely the AIDS or the SARS. There was great fear. There was great uh, prejudice uh, toward them. And they would, as soon as they were found out, they were put on a boat. They were kind of uh, put on the opposite side of the boat. And then they got close to shore. And then they told them to jump out or they're going to shoot them. And they threw, threw a couple of weeks of provisions out in the ocean as it washed up on shore. And then they just lived there uh, with their disease. But in the late, night, uh, late 1800s, uh, a man called Father Damien, who actually his brother, when he was younger, had been called to missions. And he was headed to the Sandwich Islands, which now we call Hawaii. And he had gotten, uh, he had gotten typhoid and had gotten so ill he never could recover. So Damien knew of his brother's desire and began to seek the heart of God and felt led to take his brother's place. So he went to the Hawaiian Islands. And after he'd been there for, for a year or two, uh, it was always talked about the leper colony, the island of Molokai. And he began to be convicted that he needed to go there. And so as he began to talk with their bishop, the bishop decided that they would let him go for three months. And uh, he got there and he talked about an incredibly difficult place. There was no place to sleep. There was no shelter. Uh, people, of course, were, were dying. He said the smell was just uncontrollable. But God began to work in his heart. And he knew this is where he was to be. And he ended up staying there the rest of his life. Matter of fact, he was the only one that ever visited that island that actually contracted, contracted the disease of leprosy. He literally prayed and asked God to help him identify with those in their sufferings. And he got leprosy. Now, we now know that only 4% of the population is even susceptible to leprosy. There's a certain rod-shaped chromosome that uh, makes you susceptible to it. But they didn't know that then. Father Damien was the only person that ever visited that island that obviously had that. And he had that disease and 19 years later died after building many churches, many coffins, and shelters for those upon the island of whom society had forgotten. There's an example of the test of love. The test of love that thinks more of others, that's willing to pay a cost in spite of what it means to you or to me. The test of faithfulness, according to 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7, and Hebrews 5, 7 and 8. Hebrews 5, 8 says, Although he was the Son of God, he learned obedience from what he suffered. Christ himself proved and demonstrated and showed his faithfulness even to the point of death on a cross, even in the point of severe suffering. You know, it's the little things often that, that God is most concerned about and that define our character. Giuliani's book on leadership, and this is not meant to be an endorsement, so don't make anybody write me a letter. Okay, on his, his, his book on leadership, he says this. He's, uh, when he came into office, uh, 
New York was experiencing some ridiculous number of crimes. I can't even remember what it was, but uh, within six years, it had been reduced 5,000 crimes a day. Uh, murders had gone down 67%. And as they interviewed him, they asked him, what did you do? He said, well, I just did. It wasn't any one thing I did. There were a lot of little things. He said, they said, well, like what? Well, one, uh, I noticed that there was a lot of problems from uh, a lot of the folks who would come and squeegee the windows on cars that were driving through them. And we later discovered that they were actually profiling people at that point. We did away and made it illegal uh, to, to uh, come to people's cars or to approach them unsolicited, he said. And we began to see crime drop. And there were several other numerous little things. There wasn't one big thing, but there were numerous little things that drove the crime rate down. You know, that's exactly what it means to be faithful in our lives with Christ. So many times we're waiting for the big thing. God, what's the big thing you want me to do? I want to do something big for you. And, and God is saying, how about we start with a daily prayer time? How about we start with daily devotion? How about we start to serve? How about we start with a commitment? Let's start right there. You see, the spiritual life and the God-fearing life is not necessarily the big thing that you do. It's being faithful in the little things. Before God can entrust us with much, we must be faithful with the basics that we've been given. The test of faithfulness. This is the test of sacrifice. The Bible tells us in Luke chapter 14, verse 27, If anyone does not carry his cross and follow me, he cannot be my disciple. As we were in Molokai, it was interesting as I was visiting there, there were two doctors who had come. Matter of fact, one of them, that's the reason we got there. One of them was a dear, his wife was a good friend of my wife. And uh, they had come there. And then there was another doctor that had just shown up. And as I began to talk to them and ask him, why, what made you come here? Because uh, they weren't making very much money. They said, you know, God put it on our heart uh, to do missions and to make an impact with people who needed to be helped and give us an opportunity to share the gospel. And so that's why they were there. As I talked to the pastor, he's been there 12 years. He's seminary trained. He went to that other seminary in Dallas called DTS, uh, which I actually have great respect for. And he's been there 12 years. He's got five children. He got there. There were about seven or eight people. Now they're a church of about 75. He's been there for 12 years. And as I talked to him, God has just called me to be faithful here. In a world where we continually judge success by how much and how many, could it be that sometimes we completely cut God out of the equation and we miss the validity of the test of sacrifice? Galatians 2.20 tells us, I've been crucified with Christ and Christ now lives within me. The life that I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. The next test is the test of humility. 2 Corinthians 12, 7 says, to keep, Paul was speaking here, he said, to keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh. Philippians 2, 7 says, but Christ made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in a penance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient even to death on a cross. You know, I think of humility and I think of people who are in leadership here and I think of people who serve. People who, after all these services over, stick around and they begin to pick up the communion cups one by one. They begin to pick up the trash. I think about those who don't have children and they go and they help in our children's area. And those who come and 
volunteer countless hours and time, and nobody ever recognizes them. Nobody knows who's doing those things. To me, that's the real test of humility. It's what we do as an act of worship to God without recognition. And quite frankly, we don't really care to be recognized for it. For it is our offering unto Him. You see, when we start to get the recognition, then it's no longer an act of sacrifice. It's no longer an act of humility. What about you this morning? How are you stacking up on the test of sacrifice? On the test of humility? The test of love? The test of faithfulness? And finally, the test of endurance or patience. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to James chapter 1. Very very familiar passage. James, who was believed to be the brother of Jesus, who really wasn't even a believer until after the resurrection. After the resurrection occurred, he recognized who Christ was. matter of fact, uh, we have evidence to believe that he saw Jesus and, and uh, falls into repentance at that time. matter of fact, many scholars believe this was the earliest New Testament book that was written. And so James later becomes the bishop of Jerusalem, becomes a leader of the church. And he's speaking to those who've been dispersed because of the persecution. He's speaking to those who've gone out into the different countries and the different areas and the different counties. And he says this, though they have experienced much tribulation and many trials, verse 2, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials for many kinds. Because of this, you know that testing of your faith develops perseverance. Consider it. That Greek word can also be used as evaluate. Evaluate your situation. And that word joy is not talking about the hippy-skippy feeling. It's talking about a contentment. It's a spirit of understanding that even in the midst of this, God is working. Evaluate your trial. Evaluate your testing. And recognize God wants to use it. Trials are going to come. And remember this, temptations are more internally. There's thing, there are things that we are tempted internally to do. Trials are just everyday circumstances of life. And James makes a delineation as we go throughout this whole chapter. We're not going to be able to go through all of it today. But trials happen whether you're a believer or not. Those things come. And for the believer, we can see those as an opportunity, the testament of our faith. Knowing that the testing of your faith develops uh, testing of your faith develops perseverance, and perseverance must finish its work so that you may be pure, pure or mature and complete, not lacking anything. Maturity comes for us when we come against difficult circumstances, when we are tried and tested in life, and we, sprung, we respond appropriately. We respond in a healthy manner. The problem is a lot of times we seek to so avoid and run away to deny or to project on someone or something else that we fail to learn the lesson of maturity, of being tested and tried and recognizing that God wants to grow us in that time. He wants to grow us and He wants glory to be brought to Him because of our response in those situations. James goes on and he talks about if you have doubt when you struggle as we all do and father damien as i read uh, his life story how he struggled how it became such a dark time even though he is greatly revered today there were times where he felt so lonely there were times where he felt like maybe he was just not doing what he should be doing 
There were times when he felt like he made no accomplishments. And yet today we look back and we see that there were churches, there were homes, there was dignity. There was no law before he came. Don't think that Satan won't come in and tempt you and say, what you're doing makes no difference. You know, this commitment you made and, you know, these acts of service that you have signed up for, these things that you do, it doesn't help, doesn't make any difference. And that is a lie from the enemy. Satan comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And if he can get you to believe that your life is useless and that your efforts make no impact, then what we'll do is many of us will quit. But recognize it's a test. Once we endure through the difficult circumstances, once we endure through the situations, we begin to mature. We become complete. And basically what Christ is saying, I will get you through it. Now, let's look at why God is glorified in tests. Well, first of all, because it shows who we really are, what we're really made of, what our, the substance of our faith really is. They're defining moments. I remember when I was in college, and I just started college, and I went to my first kind of Christian retreat at our college. Uh, there was a group that was holding it. And there were a group of people that um, had come back from Africa and some other third world countries. And there was another group that was going to be going. So they were praying over them and they were letting them share testimonies. And I remember listening to that. And it was like, I mean, I just couldn't imagine ever doing anything. I remember one girl getting up and she had hair down to her ankles. And she was talking about how she didn't get to wash her hair for three weeks and didn't get to take a bath. And, you know, and, and was just on and on and had to be careful with the water that they did have and could serve it to drinking and put Clorox in it. And I was just thinking, are you nuts? And I just remember hearing all that and just thinking, that is crazy stuff. And then at the end of the retreat, I remember a group that was being prayed over to go that year. And I, and I just kind of prayed a prayer in my heart. And I said, God, would you mature me to the place that I'd ever want to do something like that? I'd, I'd even be willing. Because I just, I mean, that was just like going to Mars in my mind. I'm thinking, are you, Daddy, y'all are crazy. I can't even, how do you, why would you do that? And I just couldn't even understand it. And I remember praying that prayer. And I ended up going to that retreat each year. And I kept praying that prayer. And each year it didn't seem so ridiculous anymore. Each year it didn't seem a little, I just felt a little more, I can understand that. And by the, my senior year, I actually wanted to go. And I remember just thinking about that. And, and sure enough, after I graduated from college, I, I headed off overseas to a third world country. And it was one of the most defining and growing times in my life. I think about that. And God is glorified in those moments. What is it right now that you look at and you think, I could never do. God, I could never give you this. I could never do this for you. I, I'm totally uh, inept. I can't do that, God. Would you be willing to pray a prayer and say, God, I ask that you would so move and work in my heart that you would get me to that place. You would get me to where I am willing to go, to do, to receive, to share. When I endure through trials, God is glorified, not my ego. I remember another time when I got back and I first started in the ministry, one of my very first churches, I got fired. That was a blessing. Uh, that I had no idea. It just sure didn't seem like one. And, uh, you know, it's not really good. You, you um, decide you're going to go to ministry and you do the schoolwork and then you get fired. It just seemed like a real downer at that point in my life. And uh, to the point that I thought, maybe I shouldn't even be doing this. You know, maybe I should go back and teach school. And, and uh, I remember just being really discouraged. And I remember a guy who was kind of mentoring me. He said, you know, 
this is an opportunity for you to really define who you are in your faith and your calling. And he was so right. I'd like to tell you, boy, it was easy after that. It really wasn't. It was very difficult. But you know what it did? It reaffirmed my calling. In spite of what I get paid to do, I know what God has called me to do. And I rest upon that principle. That made it a whole lot easier when we got ready to plant a church. It made it a whole lot easier when we got ready to leave. Remembering that experience and realizing God's faithfulness in spite of circumstances. And number three, it's a testimony to God's power, to a believing and to an unbelieving world. You know, I think about there were two ladies, as a matter of fact, one of them was in the service last hour, and they're both going through severe cancer, uh, life-threatening cancer. And uh, one of them, it, it doesn't look good at all. And as I spoke to them this week, it was unbelievable how encouraging they were and how they, they, this would come out of their mouth. I want God to be glorified in this. I want God to be praised. And no matter what, I trust Him. And I was so encouraged that. Matter of fact, I had a little incident happen uh, last week, and I was kind of, I don't even know how it came up, came up but I was just kind of whining about it. And uh, to somebody with cancer, I don't even know what I was thinking. I think I was been kicked in the head by a horse or something right before that. But whatever the reason was, and, uh, and she just prayed for me and encouraged me. And I was thinking, what's wrong with this picture? I'm missing something here. And I was so encouraged by the testimony, by testifying when you're in the severe trials of life, what comes out? Let me tell you, when lost people, when a world that doesn't know Christ sees that, there's something that looks real about our God, about our Savior. When believers see that, there's something real. What about you? Are you glorifying God in the midst of where you are? Practical steps to glorifying God through tests. Number one, open yourself up to the people of the body of Christ. You need to be discipled. Let us hook you up. You need to be mentored. Some of you just need to be a part of a small group so you can begin to grow and share life with one another. So you can be able to grow in faith and talk about these issues. I want to encourage you to be a part. Number two, get alone with God. We have some devotional books out there as soon as you walk out that door. And for the next 60 days, I want to challenge you uh, to prayer and devotion. I want to challenge you to take one of these books. And here's, here's the reality of it is you can do one of these in 60 seconds. So here's what I'm going to do. I want to give some of you a really low-level commitment. For those of you who just don't ever pick up a Bible, don't ever read a devotional, you just don't have time, I want to challenge you to do one minute. One minute. Okay, now I hope you do a whole lot more. You can take the Scripture and you can really think about it. And you already may have another piece that's great if you do. But if you don't spend any time and you think, I don't understand, I don't know where to start, I want to give you an opportunity. Pick this up and commit one minute a day. Well, let me tell you something. If you can't do one minute, you need to ask yourself, do I have a relationship with Christ? Amen or oh me? Okay? And I know somebody's mad right now. That's very legalistic. But I'm telling you, if your faith's not worth a minute, what's it worth? Okay? So I want to ask you to start. And this is not, some of you, if you're doing 20 minutes a day, I'm not encouraging you to do the one-minute plan, okay? I'm encouraging you to get started and to develop a habit. All right? And uh, so you can pick this up. Very simple, very understandable. I mean, uh, this might be a great thing for you and your, your spouse to do or your child to do or for you to do with a friend if you want to keep each other accountable. But I want to encourage you to pick that up and start with a devotional toward Christ. 
not just uh, not just fertilizing, but growing that relationship with God. Number three, pray at all times. Begin to pray. Oswald Chambers says, praying is not the preparation, it is the work. Matter of fact, he talks, I was reading a devotion when I was in Malachi, my utmost for his highest, and uh, he said, uh, you know, a lot of times we say, I can't, when, when I get a chance, I'm going to get away and pray about this. He said, just stop and pray. You don't have to close your eyes, you don't have to bow your head, but always be in a spirit of prayer where we're in constant communion with the Father, where we can speak. Give thanks. I think about those ladies I told you about. I think about the family whose uh, 13-month-old just had their third heart surgery and it didn't work, and they're going to have to go back for a fourth one now. And as I was talking to them, they said, you know, we, we still just ask God's prayer. We still believe He is faithful. We still believe that He is working, even in the midst of this struggle. Invest in others. Invest in others. You know, I... I was talking to Case Herbert, our youth minister, and I was asking him how things go, and he was telling me about this story about one of the kids, one of the high school boys, who um, they were uh, there at the camp, and they didn't really have any resources, and really have anything to work with. And um, so one of the things they would do is they would uh, let the kids get on their back, and they'd run around, and they'd play donkey. And this one boy had a severe sunburn, but the kids kept coming to him, and he kept putting them on, even with the sunburn. One time after another, after another, after another. You want to know what humility looks like? You want to know what service looks like? You want to know what investing in somebody? It's in spite of the sunburn that you have in life. Choosing to let God use you. Everybody in here has some type of sunburn. Some reason that I shouldn't help. Some reason I shouldn't serve. Some reason I shouldn't invest. You know, I'm too old. I'm too young. I don't know enough. I'm very busy. Can I tell you this? The real truth of it is to say yes to God and to say yes to the Spirit of Christ and the Kingdom of God often means saying no to something else. And we don't get really always the option to say yes to everything. But today I can tell you as believers in Jesus, He's calling us to say yes to Him. To yes to serve. Yes to love. Yes to faithfulness. Yes to humility. Yes to Jesus. And it will probably require you saying no to some other things. The question is, who will you say yes to? God has us each in a test right now. How are you doing?